We all were sea-swallowed, though some cast again, and by that destiny to perform an act, whereof what's past is prologue, what to come in yours and my discharge. Play On, the official podcast of the Utah Shakespeare Festival. I'm Cheyenne Gray. And I'm Emily Reed. And we're so excited to be bringing the show back after a bit of a hiatus. You just heard festival actor Stephanie Resnick with a quote from The Tempest, which we thought was appropriate for today's introduction because it's a new year. We wanted to kick off our first episode with the theme, New Beginnings. As Antonio says, what's past is prologue. Every day is a new beginning, and the past is just the lead-up to something great that can begin today. Of course, in the scene of The Tempest, he and Sebastian are plotting to kill Alonzo, who's sleeping right next to them, so we don't recommend following their advice too closely. Today we'll hear stories from some of our listeners about their new beginnings relating to Shakespeare, then have a conversation with two people who created their very own new beginnings, our founder, Fred Adams, who created the Utah Shakespeare Festival in 1961, and Sam White, who created the theater company Shakespeare in Detroit in 2013. So Shakespeare is full of new beginnings, like the start of a new romance, which you will find in plays across the entire spectrum of his works. We even see new beginnings, this idea of starting over after the tragedy of a shipwreck. We can see examples of this in plays like The Tempest, Twelfth Night, The Comedy of Errors, and Pericles. The prompt of a new beginning has always made for great theater. Whether that's comedy, tragedy, or romance, it's that age-old archetype of the hero's journey, the call to action, the moment where something changes for our protagonist and the story begins. Of course, that's not just true in Shakespeare. I'm sure we can all pinpoint a new beginning in our lives that changed everything. We asked our listeners to share their stories of new beginnings in Shakespeare and got some great responses. Here's one from Carl, who emailed us and said... I was in the 8th grade, standing on the corner of Main and Center Street in Logan, Utah, deciding which movie to see. The title on the marquee of the Roxy Theater, west on Center Street, was Hamlet. The pictures at the front of the theater showed men brandishing swords. Aha! A swashbuckler, I thought, and in I went. At the end, everybody was dead, including the hero. This was different, new, unexpected, but there was something here. It was real. I sat through the movie again, still bewildered, but moved. I felt that I hadn't got it all, and I still haven't. I rushed home to tell my parents. Mother said, Hamlet, oh, that's Shakespeare. Who? Shakespeare. You'll find out when you go to high school. She made it sound like a punishment. And I got little sympathy from my friends when I tried to talk to them about it. Just a bunch of men walking around in their pajamas and talking. This is the tip of the iceberg of my introduction and ongoing relationship with Shakespeare. Carl also says, this past summer was another landmark for me in Shakespeare when I saw the Shakespeare Festival's Merchant of Venice. It meant that I had seen all of Shakespeare's plays at least once. I do just want to say to Carl's friends real fast that um, pajamas isn't really accurate because while they may look flowy, Elizabethan costume is not very comfortable. (laughs) Rachel left us a voicemail telling us about her beginning in the world of Shakespeare as well as her favorite new beginning in a Shakespeare play. Hi, my name is Rachel Wisely. I'm calling in to leave a message for the Play On podcast. Um, So I'm from Phoenixville, Pennsylvania. And, well, um, Shakespeare has always been around in my life. Um, He needed no introduction. Um, However, I would say that 
my the true real new beginning of Shakespeare happened when I quite literally threw myself at a Shakespearean acting troupe at Ave Maria University in my freshman year. Nothing could have beaten a baptism into such a journey than a great comedy with a great troupe. Uh, and so Midsummer took off into a story of destiny, if you will. Uh, so for the next four years, I was immersed in Shakespeare's language, as well as uh, original and modern practices for the stage. It was a huge part of my undergraduate story. I would have to say that my favorite new beginning in Shakespeare right now would have to be the relationship and the marriage of Ferdinand and Miranda in Tempest. I love it because their love is so pure and largely unaffected by the, the scheming and corruption that surrounds them. They, they symbolize the blooming innocence and strength of love. Uh, and in that, they carry hope. Uh, one of the greatest messages to end a play with and to start a new beginning with, and I think that they, they bring this life into the ending that starts a whole new beginning. And I, I think that that's a beautiful story and a beautiful message that Shakespeare writes and creates so well. Um, so thank you so much for your time and efforts to put together this podcast. I wish you guys all the best. Bye. Here's another story from Jessica who says, When I was 11 years old, my mom took me to the Utah Shakespearean Festival, as it was called back then, for the first time. We saw a funny thing happened on the way to the forum. The show opened with Fred Adams singing and tossing his toupee off stage. I loved it. I had to do it again. The next year we saw Macbeth my first Shakespeare play. I was hooked. I became absolutely obsessed with Shakespeare. I learned that the first recorded use of my name, Jessica, was by Shakespeare for The Merchant of Venice. Thank you to everyone who called or emailed us with your story. For the next episode of Play On, we'll be talking about love, and we want to hear from you. Tell us your Shakespearean love story by leaving us a voicemail at 385-422-1898 or emailing us at podcast at bards.org. Did Shakespeare bring you and a loved one together? What is your favorite couple in Shakespeare? Let us know and you may be featured on the podcast. Coming up next, we'll be having a conversation with two special guests. Fred Adams, founder of the Utah Shakespeare Festival, and Sam White, founder of Shakespeare in Detroit and director of our upcoming production of Twelfth Night in our 2019 season. We have Fred here in the studio with us, and Sam is joining us via Skype. Welcome, Sam and Fred. Hi, I'm Cheyenne. Hi, Cheyenne. I'm Emily. Hi, Emily. Hi, Fred. Hey, how are you? I'm well. How are you? Good, Sam. Good to see you there. Good to see you, too. You're in a car. I am. I have a meeting at, at 4.15, so I'm just, I'm not going inside until until we complete this. So oh, I'm just in it. my car. Okay. You can see a little bit of Detroit. There it is. Oh, wow. <laughs> so basically, we're rebooting the podcast that's been kind of 
defunct for a little over a year now. Dormant. Dormant, That's a gentler word. (laughs) And we thought that since it's a new beginning, um, that it would be a great way to kind of tie everything together, to have the two of you in conversation about the Shakespeare companies that you started. Um, And also, of course, Sam, that you're directing Twelfth Night, which is a great story of new beginnings. And it's a fun play. You're having fun with it, I hope, Sam. Oh yeah, it's to me. It's the most fun of all the plays. So it's uh, it's yeah. It's, we're gonna have a great time. I'm actually anxious to get into rehearsals. I'm ready. It's. I think it's his best comedy. It is. It is. It's from top to bottom. It really is. Yeah. yeah. It's clean and complete, and doesn't yeah. leave. It doesn't leave strings anywhere. Like no, it true doesn't. Or any company of errors. Any of the rest of them do, but not Twelfth Night. He. He no, tied it all play. up in neat little I consider packages. it to be it's 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 a perfect play. It's it's pretty perfect. And so um I'm excited to have fun with it and um hopefully I can I can speak and, and not just laugh the whole time. Because even I've read it a million times now, but every time I read it I find something new to laugh at. Absolutely, absolutely. <laughs> it's it's uh, it, yeah. it, you peel it away just like an onion, yeah. and there's gonna be something underneath it that was always there. But you never saw it, and then when That's you right. then you'll start to discover as you get older, which is a l- long road for you. But uh, as you start getting older, and then you and 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 you discover it again. Only now you discover it. I I remember discovering it as a college kid, and it yeah. was very funny. And the, the Malvolio things up all worked for me, and that was funny. Then I yeah. discovered it in uh, at, at university. And it had a, a kind of a sophistication and a, a, a much more erudite. And I, I, it yeah. wasn't, of course, the play at all. It was me the whole time. And then <laughs> I became a young father, and and it made it had a, a whole new set of resonances. Now I'm yeah. a, about to become a great grandfather. Wow! My first great grandchild is about to be born. Amazing! And twelve. Well, congratulations. Yeah, yeah. But, and, well, I didn't have anything to do with it. But Twelfth Night. <laughs> kind is, of. Well, you, you know. know. But, you know, but you know what I mean. All of a sudden, I, uh, I sat down to read it the other night. Yeah. It's a different play. Mm. It's a lot more. I see, yeah. Yeah. It's, uh, you know, it's interesting, too, because when I was little, when I was a kid, I liked Twelfth Night because it reminded me of my uncle, of one of my uncles. <laughs> I have four of them. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> he would kill me if he, if he heard me saying this, but my uncle Albert reminds me of Sir Toby. Um, so I've always been drawn to the play because every time Toby has a line, it kind of reminds me of like, when we would see him at family gatherings, I'm like, oh, that's Uncle Albert. <laughs> but, but, but now um, I, I kind of see it with um, a different lens, especially um, as an adult. I can kind of find something in, in every character that I can personally relate to. Yes. Even even Toby. I mean, because, you know, if you think about it, um, he really is looking out for his niece's best interest. Now, he doesn't do it with much grace or class, but... <laughs> But he is trying to help her out. There's a protective element in Sir Toby that you don't yeah. f- that you didn't discover as a ch- as a youngster. Yeah. Now all of a sudden, Sir Toby has kind of wrapped his arms around his niece and said, "I'm right. uh, I'm not going to let these people uh, I'm not going to let these people hurt you. 
I'm, I'm, right. I, may be, I may be having fun at their expense, but at the long right. run, it's to show my niece or, or to right. protect my niece, to open her eyes uh, to these right. people that surround her. And he thinks, you know, his, his her father has died and her brother has died, so he has to look out for her. He's the man. And he's thinking of his family's legacy and he really is. keeping that in mind and trying to, uh, um, you know, give her the best future possible. And so, you know, when I was a kid, I kind of looked at him as being the funny, you know, drunkle. The but drunkle. now it's, the drunkle. I can I can see the humanity in 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 in, in Toby. Yeah. Yeah. But not sure. But but Toby sees through Malvolio. Yeah. He yeah, sees he through him. He knows that Malvolio is not good for Olivia. He does. He does. He, he's her steward. He's in charge of her, her household. He's in charge of her money. Yeah. He's in charge of everything. And Sir Toby sees right through him. He sees that this is a, a, a fortune hunter. Yeah, because you never, there's never a point in the play where you think that he doesn't care for his niece. Never. There's never a point where you don't think that he's not looking out for her. And so he really, truly, he's just, he, you know, he obviously has a drinking problem, but he's, he, at the end of the day, he's looking out for Olivia. He really loves her. He does. It's kind of all he has, she's, you know? She's family. Malvolio's around, family. but yeah, exactly. <laughs> And he sees Malvolio's intents. Uh, and I think he finds, Sir Toby has found in Mariah, not just, not just a soulmate, yeah. but also um, a companion in protecting mm -hmm. Olivia. Yeah, and, and, I, and I think Mariah and um, Toby have a common interest because she also cares about Olivia. And wants her, um, Cares for her to have a, a bright, safe future. And so, you know, um, Melvolio, she doesn't really, I mean, I don't, I, you know, Melvolio is an interesting character, but I think Mariah genuinely cares about Olivia. And so, and she's, and the other thing about Mariah, which is kind of why, I mean, and I can go off into a tangent, but, uh, but, um, the thing about Mariah too, she's so clever. And in, in the, the play that, um, the version of it, obviously that I'm directing for Utah, um, I've cut Fabian, and in most cases, Mariah does what Fabian would have done in, like, another production. Yes. So she gets to have fun with the shrubbery, you know? She gets to see the fruits of her conniving and her plotting and run around those bushes and have, be silly with the with the boys, you know? And, I, and I, I thought, you know, she's such a strong character who often doesn't get to have fun when she's the person who started it all. Yeah, she's the genesis of it. Uh, yeah. And, 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 and I think... I think Fabian is a throwaway. Thank you for saying that, Fred. Yay! <laughs> it, it, what, what does he solve? What does he ever do that uh, of any importance? What does he does? Where does he take the plot, or where does he help take the plot? Nowhere. Nowhere. And by yeah. removing him and giving Mariah his energy. Yeah. Uh, all you've yeah. done is made Mariah a much more interesting, a much, much more interesting advocate and uh, and uh, adversary for Malvolio. Thank you for saying that, Fred. That, you just made my day. Yes. And, and I, I, I didn't I didn't I didn't know that you had done that. Yeah. Just now. I did. But it's a it's a throwaway.
and he kind of just shows up out of the blue you know i mean he's a servant obvious of obviously of olivia's but he doesn't really serve like you said a real purpose no and purpose. i thought it just might be more interesting and also more consistent as far as the narrative goes yeah. to have mariah have, say those lines and do those things instead of this kind of person who pops up yeah, yeah. out of the blue i yeah. played i played fess my my very first shakespeare role you did was, was fest a freshman in college and i was cast as fest did you sing or anything fred did you have to sing or oh yeah or did I, you but, dance but would my you play whole, anything all my would training you play? was in musical comedy i didn't yeah. I, i've never had any shakespeare training I was a musical comedy man. Anyway, I see. Uh, and and uh, and the the director gave Fest all of uh, uh, his lines mm -hmm. because um, he didn't he didn't have a need for him in the play. So I I I, I saw Fabian as a as a throwaway all of, ever since I was a boy. Oh, that's so nice to hear. I'm so I'm so glad that 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 aligns with my cut. Yeah, that's exciting. I I also think that the charm of Olivia being kind of put upon by Malvolio, yeah, and kind of uh, d exasperated with Toby, it, it gives her character, uh, which I think Shakespeare intended. It gives her dimension. If yeah. Toby, if Toby were not a drunkard, if Toby didn't mm -hmm. drink, uh, it, uh, if she was just, if he, if she was just his niece, yeah, and there was no reason to correct him, no reason to improve him, um, yeah, there wouldn't be a relationship, right? But there right. is. There's a relationship between those two, and I have to tell you, I don't care what anyone says. The two, the two strongest characters in the play are Olivia and Toby. Mm. Also known as my uncle Albert. Mm -hmm. <laughs> but it is. It, it's not the. It's not uh, sitting at the building a willow, a, a willow house at her gate and singing her songs. Uh, that's the. That's the plot, but that's not, that's not the genesis of the play. Yeah. The genesis of the yeah. play is, uh, is uh, uh, I think, it's what does, a, uh, what does a beautiful, wealthy woman do when she is all alone and mm. there's no one to protect her? Yeah, I um, it's it's interesting too. You know, when you talk about Toby and Olivia, um, <clears throat> I, sometimes I hear people refer to Twelfth Night as a romantic comedy, but I, I look at it more as a familial kind of comedy because you do, do you have the relationship between Toby and Olivia, but then and then obviously the twins. Yes, and these are two sets of uh, very powerful relationships with multifaceted dynamics between the uncle and his niece and between the um, the twins. And so, you know, I've always looked at it that way. And I, of course, you know, there are some love connections. Yes. But the heart of it are the, the familial relationships. The, is the family. For sure. Is the family. Yeah. And yet it's also interesting that uh, that uh, he has a he has a woman so attractive as a man, so attractive mm -hmm. that a a, a beautiful woman surrounded by fortune seekers uh, yeah. uh, as attracted to him, her. 
and then creates in the Elizabethan way that that sense of twins can be identical. Yeah. I mean, in other words, it's all right, Sebastian. Uh, Shakespeare's audience would say, ours doesn't. But Shakespeare's mm -hmm. audience could say, oh, yes, uh, two, a twin brother and sister could have the same qualities, the same personality traits, the same standards. Yeah, absolutely. And you know what? And that has really made, Fred, casting very interesting. Oh, I'll bet. Oh, I'll bet. <laughs> and finding two and finding two actors who can emote similarities as Viola and her brother Sebastian. Yes, yes for sure. For sure it has. Because it in in many ways, and obviously this can happen in the rehearsal room as well, but they have to kind of start off with some similarities because uh, you know, whether it's something about their cheekbones or their hair or their ears or whatever the case may be, because in fact, they are, while they're obviously um, male and female, they are identical they for are most identical. of the play. They are because the Elizabethans thought they could, uh, that they could be identical. And I think that the, I think the secret if I, it, it, to, to the direction of it is that Viola and Sebastian need to sit down together in a room and build together a history mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. that they can both draw from. And, I, yeah. and I'd say, kids, go off and do that before we even start with a book. Yeah, you're right, Fred, because you know what? The thing is, is they have to be similar without being together. Without being together. Because we don't see them together until the end. Not until the very end. Not they have the to end. do the work even outside of the rehearsal room when they see me because, but it's it's not until the conclusion of the play does the audience actually see the two of them side by side. Isn't that interesting? <laughs> but, the but, but if the audience doesn't see Viola in Sebastian, the moment Sebastian makes his first appearance... Right. Then it doesn't. The, the 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 play starts to work with a crutch. It doesn't. Yeah. It limps. Yeah. Because they've got to say, "Oh my heavens! Look how identical! Look how he moves! Look how he scratches his ear! Yeah. Look, you know, well that's uh, she's she, she and he have those identical built-in genetic traits." Right. Right. You're right. And it's so, you know, because I've seen the play for the 13th time as of last month. Um, and it for me, for this is just me speaking personally, for me, it only works if the stakes are so high that by the time the twins see each other, my heart is ripped out of my chest because I'm so touched by these two being reunited. Finally. Finally. Yes, finally. 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 Yeah. Right. And so there has to be that relationship has to be established because it's so essential to that that moment at the conclusion of the play when they find one another again. It's because it's a really powerful moment. It really it is. is. It's a thrilling moment. It's a thrilling yeah. moment, almost as thrilling as Viola, uh, as Olivia discovering. Well, I've loved him, and here he is. Yeah. 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 Wait. And there he is right there, too. <laughs> You're going to have fun with it. Yeah. It's, I love Twelfth Night, Brett. I really, really do. And, and I think the festival's going to have fun with you.
Yeah, it's going to be a good time. I, I really can't wait. I hate to rush time, but I'm ready for rehearsals to begin. <laughs> oh, don't be. We've got, a, we've got a whole huge construction plan going on here that has to get done before you even arrive. So yeah. you'll, see some, you'll see some marked changes when you come this spring. I'm, I'm excited. Yeah, I'm very, I'm very, very excited. I'm actually, I'm headed to Paris on Monday, and I'm going to see a show at the Folle Berger, and it's, um, I'm interested in, in just like French theater anyway, just to see um, how they present their work. But one of the, it's kind of, it's a cabaret, but one of the, um, the skits in the cabaret is involving twins. So I'm hoping just to uh, really lean into that particular skit at the show and, and see what they do with two people who in, in real life are not related, but who play twins in this particular cabaret um, that I'm going to see. So, oh, yeah, um, so much inspiration everywhere, Fred. It's oh, everywhere. Well, give my regards to Paris. I love Paris. Oh, my goodness. I can't wait. Oh, I love Paris. Um, so... Uh, we are talking to Fred Adams, founder of the Utah Shakespeare Festival, and Sam White, founder of Shakespeare in Detroit and upcoming director of Twelfth Night in our 2019 season. Um, so we were wanting to get into a little bit, um, because you both have this background of starting a Shakespeare company, um, kind of get into a conversation about what that was like. I mean, it was many years apart, but I think we may also find some similarities in, um, in what that experience was like of, of building these companies from the ground up. Um, so just some kind of questions to start us off. Well, um, there, was, there, was, there was a similarity, and I'm a, if I can just jump oh, on absolutely. that for a minute. Uh, I, I came to Cedar City when it was at its lowest ebb. The mines had closed. 700 families, miners' families, had left Cedar, left them with a huge bond for a new high, a new grade school, and a new hospital, and all of a sudden, a, a, a significant portion of the population and the taxpayer base had gone. Cedar was devastated, and was gone had gone under, and Sam walked into a community that was uh, struggling. I, I I I think Detroit must have been the most depressing place. Uh, in the United States at that time. The factories had closed, industries had left, people were leaving, and she goes to Detroit. Yeah, um, it's, well, I, you know, I had moved to Vegas, Fred. I was living in Las Vegas trying to be a stand-up comedian. <laughs> and um, I got a job at, at, at KNPR, which, you know, is the... Uh, affiliate in Henderson and, yep, and Vegas them. for NPR. And uh, one of my, my co-workers invited me on a trip to Cedar City. Now, I had never been to the state of Utah, like period, ever in my life. Um, but I liked Shakespeare because my mom had introduced me to Shakespeare when I was eight. So I just, I had an affinity for the, for the bard by the time I had moved to Vegas. So when she invited me to come along with some of our co-workers and, and the audience members for the radio station, I said, yeah, of course, I'll go to Cedar City. Where is it? Let's go. <laughs> and so I came to this really tiny town. <laughs> it was very tiny and, and very cute. And we saw um, a few plays. We saw Two Gentlemen of Verona, uh, The Merchant of Venice, and we saw another play that I can't remember right now, but it was The Two Gentlemen of Verona, which was the outdoor show in the 
Amy Adams, I believe. And, um, and that's where I kind of was just sitting in the chair and you know how something's happening in front of you and you, but you kind of, you're in your own world because I was having an epiphany during that experience and watching two gents. So by, and this epiphany lasted me until we got into the, the bus to go back to Las Vegas. And I started thinking about Detroit and, you know, Detroit has had a, a history of a lot of ups and, ups and downs, downs, a lot of very low lows and some high highs, yeah. you know, um, having done things like invented the car and uh, Motown music. But 2008 was when I came to uh, Cedar City and that was a rough year for Detroit. And so by the time I got in that bus, I thought, you know, it might be really cool if they can do this here in Cedar City. Why can't we have a Shakespeare company in Detroit? And I love Shakespeare. And I had been an actor for um, a large portion of my life. I was trying to do stand up comedy, but that like I think visiting Utah Shakespeare Festival um, halted my stand up career because then I had another focus, which was to begin uh, Shakespeare in Detroit. So literally just a few weeks after I came to visit Utah Shakes, I went home to Detroit, but it was such a rough time, Fred, because kind of the same circumstances you were talking about in Cedar City with the miners, yeah. uh, factory workers were being laid off laid and General off. Motors was bankrupt. It was pretty uh, much bankrupt. And so if General Motors and Chrysler and Ford are not doing well, the city of Detroit is not, not doing well because everybody works there or they, they work for them in some capacity. So when I got home, um, we were basically, all of us, myself included, were just trying to survive. It took another um, few years until 2012 before I even started to write a real plan for Shakespeare in Detroit. But if I hadn't come to the Utah Shakespeare Festival, which it's it's thrilling that you talk about such a similar um, background in Cedar City as we have in Detroit, because that just reinforces for me that it was meant to be for me to work that job at that radio station, get on the bus and come see two gents and merchant and have that experience because it changed my life and it happened in a town, it's good to know, that has um, a lot of similarities to, to Detroit and, and that Utah Shakes has a similar uh, beginning to Shakespeare in Detroit. That's so, that's so amazing. And uh, it, it, it makes me feel good because as you know, Fred, because a lot of people don't understand this, um, it's hard being a founder. Oh, it is. Fred, you're amazing, okay? <laughs> well, and so are you, Sam. The thing is, uh, it's, it's easy when you just do it for fun. Yeah. It becomes harder when all of a sudden you hire someone and their livelihood depends upon your project. Exactly. Then all of a sudden, exactly. the responsibility is just daunting. I'll, I'll never forget that. And I, I went to bed... Uh, uh, literally sick to my stomach uh, with the responsibility of uh, how am I going to how am I going to continue to pay for yeah. that? And then all of a sudden, that's behind you and that's done, and you found a way to do that, and then you just jump over another hurdle, which is right. how do we get how do we get people from Las Vegas to come up, or how do we get people? Uh, you have a hundred a hundred uh, questions to solve. And every time you solve yeah. one, you move a step, baby step often, but you move a step forward. And it becomes, it becomes 
fun. But at the same time, you never, and Sam, you never will get to a point where you can say, ah, oh, okay, it, that's done. I don't have to worry about it anymore. Never? Never. Never? <laughs> no. Oh, no. Yeah, it's you, Fred, you just hit the nail on the head. And this is why I'm so thrilled to talk to you, because if you think about it, there really aren't a lot of theater founders to use as a resource. You know, you are a unicorn, Fred. I'm afraid so. Um, with, a, with a broken it, horn. And it's really hard for people to relate because you're right. If There are very few nights, especially um, when the season, a few months, like six months before every season, my stomach, I have stomach aches like you wouldn't believe. Every And they never get better. And I think, well, next year. Next year's going to be easier. <laughs> yeah. There'll just yeah. be a whole new set of, uh, of challenges. And yes. the only challenges. I mean, there are no, there's no problems. There's no, there's nothing in, in so, unsolvable. Everything can yeah. be solved. Uh, and 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 money isn't the solution. Never has been. No. I, I, everyone thinks it is. Everyone says if 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 only I could get an angel that would uh, give us a million dollars a year, well, everything would be fine. No, it wouldn't. No, it wouldn't. It, it, a whole new set of problems would arise. So don't ever, That's you true. MFA kids, don't don't ever think money is the cure-all. So there are a lot of challenges to it. Um, but if you had to pinpoint one thing to say it's the hardest part of starting, of founding the organizations, what would it be for you? What would yours be, Sam? What would be the hardest, what would you say is the hardest single thing in 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 your yeah. in your job i think i think the well the hardest thing now is different than when i started it's it's different now than it was 6 years ago the hardest thing um went starting was getting people to believe in the idea as much as as i did because um when you have people who are having trouble paying their mortgages or um, feeding their families and you say, oh, I want to start a Shakespeare company. No one cares. Initially, they don't care um, because they have real problems that they're facing. But what I found was to um, eventually, uh, because it took me a year to even get the first sponsorship for a full-fledged show. But once we did it, and we offered it for free because we had to um, demonstrate the value of the work that we were doing. Um, four weeks before that very first show, the city filed for bankruptcy. And this is the, that was the first time in the history of not just Michigan, in the history of the United States that a municipality had filed for bankruptcy. And so I had to convince people that having live theater in the middle of a city park mattered. And what I found was having a free show was the best way to market or introduce ourselves to the community because they showed up and for two and a half hours as they watched Othello, no one thought about the bills that they owed the next day, how their heat wasn't on because they were thinking about, wow, I'm having a moment with my neighbors 
with people from places in Michigan who otherwise I would never engage with. My kids are learning something about history and about social studies and about English and live art that maybe they didn't have access access to before. And so I learned, I always tell young, like um, younger people who want to start theater companies that there's value to the art that they create in their cities because Oftentimes, people who aren't artists like we are, they think that opening a retail space or a restaurant is what makes the city great. But it's not because businesses might bring a people to a state or a town or a city, but the arts is what makes them stay. And so, you know, I, I the hardest thing for me was just getting started and, and really for my city in particular in Detroit, um, uh, getting people to be able to see outside the their own kind of um, circumstances, which for sure are valid concerns, but helping them realize that the arts are an important component to making making Detroit a, a, a vital part of the the cultural infrastructure of this country. So yeah, and, that was the hardest thing, Fred. And it's the same, and for me, it was the same thing, getting anyone to believe in me, anyone to believe in this project. And, 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 uh, here I am 57 years later, and I'm still having to go out and convince people that we matter. It's easier because I've got more people on my side, but, but, but it never ends. It never ends. I, I have, uh, I have uh, people in the, in this community that, uh, uh, that look on uh, what we're doing is uh, unnecessary and and uh, it, it, it isn't helping them. So that's still the hardest thing. It isn't difficult to put on Shakespeare. Is that why you chose Shakespeare? No, he had the cheapest royalty. <laughs> True. <laughs> and... And I found out in my community, and I'll bet in Sam's as well, I found out that 90% uh, of the people had already discovered him through uh, a, a, a class sometime in their, in their past. He was a known product. I didn't have to, I didn't have to redesign him. Mm. Uh, and, and the people in Cedar City... Uh, had fallen in love with Shakespeare, uh, the very first settlers here. That's what they, the first thing they did in Cedar City was to do Mer Merchant of Venice. Oh, wow. and, that they, and they had just arrived in wagons, miners coming to, from Scotland and Ireland and Wales to mine iron ore. Wow. So there really is a tradition of Shakespeare in, yeah. in Cedar City. But uh, uh, she could go to her same. She could go to her same people that uh, were there to make cars and to forge steel, and uh, and where did they come from? And they brought with them tremendous experiences with uh, with Shakespeare. Um, yeah, you know, it's it's funny, you know, I, I kind of feel like um, uh, I had to take a journey to um, to to get the inspiration to start Shakespeare in Detroit, because, again, you know, I, I've said it before, if if I hadn't come to Utah Shakes, Shakespeare in Detroit would would probably not exist. And it's funny, Fred, because 
Um, I feel like those um, those miners and those people who took a voyage to Cedar City in some ways, because we have a lot of um, other Shakespeare companies that are much closer to where I'm from. Um, places in uh, Illinois and, and in Canada and other places that I've, I've been to, but it took me coming to Utah for that thing in my brain and in my heart to go, wait a minute, I have an idea. And so, um, you know, there's something really, really special in, in the air, I guess, at Cedar City. And there's really something um, beautiful about what you created that um, it's so much deeper than Shakespeare. I mean, it's a, it's a Shakespeare company for sure, obviously, but there's something about the energy and the magic of USF that, um, that has just stayed with me. And even some days when I feel like quitting Fred, because because Fred, there's been those days. I know. There have been the days. I know those days. <laughs> I know. There have been those days. days. I like remember myself being this girl in, from Detroit in the audience watching two gents who came up with this idea in the middle middle of like Utah. That's so amazing. That's a miracle. Well, it was it was supposed to be. Yes. It was supposed yes. to be. And I'm glad that we could be there. It took that moment at that time in that theater in 2008 for the idea to spark within me. And so I'm so happy I that too. I discovered USF or that rather USF discovered me. That's I just think it it they're really even when I was there, because, you know, I was there a month ago, a month or so ago, and I felt the same way. Um just being there. I don't, and I really have no words for it other than um, it really was the place that I was supposed to be at the right time. Well, when Brian announced that he was hiring this young, beautiful girl to come out and direct a play for us, when I heard that, I just, my heart just soared. I thought, oh, how <laughs> thanks, Fred. How fun to have her come back and now be a part of it. Yay. Well, you know, you're part of my everyday, though, Fred, because I told you there's a picture of you and I on my desk. <laughs> well, so you, may not, you may not see me, but you're on my desk. I am so flattered. Yeah, I think we have just a couple more short questions. Okay. So uh, first off, um, it's the beginning of a new year. So we're just curious. Uh, do you have any New Year's resolutions? Um, I, You know, I stopped making resolutions a, a couple of years ago because I like things to happen serendipitously. Um, obviously, things like that. Um, I think when things happen organically, those are all, most of the time the best things, like my trip to the Utah Shakespeare Festival <laughs> in 2008. So I don't have any resolutions. I think um, if I had to give myself one, though, it would just be to have more fun because, you know, like uh, Fred and I were talking about, it's, it, it can be difficult sometime on, on your Shakespeare journey, whether I'm working somewhere other than Shakespeare in Detroit or working at Shakespeare in Detroit. I get so um, serious and um, focused on like my research and, um, and reading the plays over and over again until, you know, I've practically memorized them and, and making sure like I have the right people doing the right things or in the right roles and the right parts that sometimes I forget to, to have fun. I mean, it is a play. So, so play. So I think, um, I think if I had to give myself a resolution, that's what it would be for 2019 to enjoy myself a bit more for sure. My resolution, I'm 88 years old. <laughs> 
<laughs> and I stopped doing resolutions when I discovered that I only lied anyway. Uh, I haven't I haven't made a resolution in in years intentionally. Mm -hmm. I just. Um, what about something that you're looking forward to this year? I'm looking forward to this building project, adding a living room to the festival. Mm -hmm. I'm excited about having uh, that uh, to recreate the the outdoor living room that we had uh, uh, around the old Adams Theater. I'm I'm looking forward to that. I'm excited to start planting the seeds for a good, a really good um, wing of the festival for children. Mm. Children's, a good children's theater. We've got to continue to build our audiences of tomorrow. Mm -hmm. So that probably would be it. I've got to sneak this question in because I am dying to know, what is your go-to karaoke song? My what? Go-to karaoke song. If somebody put a microphone in front of you and said, start singing, what would you sing? <laughs> I am a very model of a modern major general, I guess. It's the only thing I still know the lyrics to. And that one has a lot of lyrics. So. And it has a lot of That's lyrics. That's impressive, actually. Um, I, th I think, um, well, I have two. It's usually um, Rizzo's song from Greece, you know, the worst thing I could do. Oh, um, I love that. One. that. Or um, I like Michael Jackson's Thriller. Like, if I am just want to have fun and don't have to worry about, like, the vocals, just yeah. Yeah. <laughs> enjoy it and sing it and dance also. Because you can't, if you're going to do a karaoke song like that, you can't just stand there. You also have to dance. You've got to right. dance. Right. You've got to like, dance. And, like, V-dance, too. That's right. That's right. <laughs> Uh, well, this has been so fun. Um, we're so glad that the two of you could you. join us to talk and, and bring back this podcast that we're super excited about and help us start a new beginning. Um, yeah, thank you so much for being here. Thank Sam, you. Looking, thank forward, you. looking forward to May. Me too. Me too. I'll see you very soon, Fred. It'll be here before you know it. Yes. And I'm, uh, I, and I'm going to be sitting in my favorite seat in the Ingolstadt, cheering silently. Thank you, Fred. Thank, Thank you, you. Appreciate Thanks, it. everybody. Thank, Thank you. you so much. Thank you, Thanks, Fred. Bye-bye. Bye. Before we go, here's what's happening in the world of the Utah Shakespeare Festival. Our Shakespeare in the Schools 25th anniversary tour of Macbeth just launched from Cedar City. This magnificent company will be touring to schools and community centers throughout the West from January through April. We'll be hearing from a couple of our tour actors on the February episode of this podcast, so keep a lookout. For a full list of tour dates, visit bard.org tour. We also just started rehearsals for a Playmakers production of Newsies, directed by Britannia Howe and featuring 88 students from 6 to 17. Performances of this fun and popular musical will run March 13th through 18th in Cedar City. Finally, we're excited to announce Make a Scene, a staged reading fundraiser on February 8th, 2019 at the Harmon Hall Theater in West Valley City. Come join us for a night of hilarious theater featuring local and state politicians, business leaders, and media personalities joining a few of our professional actors on stage. This stage reading of The Front Page, a madcap comedy set in a 1920s Chicago newsroom, will be co-directed by Fred Adams and festival favorite Quinn Matfeld. Visit bard.org for more information and to purchase tickets. 
Thanks for joining us for another episode of the Play On Podcast. Thank you again to Sam White and Fred Adams for talking with us today and sharing their wisdom on founding a successful theater company and what exactly ought to be done with Fabian in Twelfth Night. Do you agree with their assessment? Let us know. Email us at podcast at bard.org or leave us a voicemail at 385-422-1898. To learn more about what Sam is up to, visit shakespeareindetroit.com and follow them on social media. You can find more episodes of this show on our website at bard.org slash podcasts or wherever you get your podcasts. This podcast is a co-production of the marketing and communications team and the education team at the Utah Shakespeare Festival. Follow us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter at Utah Shakespeare or search our hashtag, Utah Shakes. Special thanks to Michael Barr and Tyler Morgan for their guidance and support. Our music was composed by Caitlin Limber. Thanks for listening and we'll see you next month.